24, yes, possibly. What a auspicious number. No, I can't think of any culture no. that would have it as an auspicious number. No. Um, so I was playing football with the lads from work, and we have, uh, we've got those uh, yellow vests because we now have enough people that like we're playing five-a-side, um, and they've given them to me to wash, and I've washed them all. But I have loads and loads of patches left over from when I did the tank girl costume, little little unicorns and like lipstick marks and things. Mm-hmm. And they're absolutely, I'm absolutely going to start ironing those on, and they're <coughs> they're going to get those back. <laughs> we're going to look like the weirdest group. Everyone's going to have like a patch where there would usually be like a team logo of a unicorn or lipstick or a, or a daiquiri or something. It's like no, no, you t- you take the daiquiri off, Lilas. Your one has the <laughs> lipstick on it. I want death metal unicorn. <laughs> I want the skull. Actually, I was just saying, I know she, you probably won't do it this year because she's a tank girl herself is going to be there. Yes. Um, so I assume you're going to dig out the costume again. Uh, I'm not going to do uh, tank girl again. I, it will be. I just have this image of me walking towards her and I can, like looking up from signing someone else's uh, D- DVD or something. And she looks up and just it's me walking towards. Her. She's like security, security, security. <laughs> <laughs> But, you should at um, least yes. when you go to meet her have a photo of go I actually won a co- won last year or whatever like I got recognition last year for my costume of you um, yeah. no because I actually realised pre- after you said it yesterday on the stream I was like hey, you know why don't why don't you do if you're going to have the stall there again this year go as Adam Jensen <laughs> and every time somebody comes up to buy a print you hand them the print and they hand you the money and you stop and look at it and go I never asked for this and then <laughs> just, just keep doing it like <laughs> Or, or only communicate by crossing and uncrossing your arms. Yes. I'd love to go one year as the merchant from Resident Evil 4. Take a look. Have, <laughs> have all my wares in my jacket. And just, what are you buying? What are you selling? Yeah. Lots of no, good things always, for sale, stranger. I thought it was always like, once you click on them, he goes, take a look. And then he pulls the, 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 the yeah. thing back. Like, yeah, that was... Um, um, uh, good times. Sorry, just remembering the first time I ran across him, I was like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I know, he has no explanation. And he looks like a bad guy as well. Like, he couldn't 100% looks more like a cultist than most of the cultists. Oh, yeah, like, under the like under uh, under the hood, you're pretty fairly certain he's a zombie-like. But it's mm. like Zur in Destiny. Zur shows up and he has his fucking tentacle face yeah. thing going on. But anyway, so, yeah, episode 24. Um, yep. Death. Not to be confused with murder. We did an episode on murder, and murder is very much like, you know, it's it's a core staple of a lot of TV and film genres, and obviously games and stuff like that. Mm. It's not no, sorry, you don't murder your enemies, you defeat them. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like like I defeated so many people with a chainsaw in Doom. <laughs> um, but or a yeah, car door or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and and remember, Batman has never killed anyone in one of the games. Especially when he no. got the tank and was running over <laughs> at 70 mile an hour. But yeah, it's. I was more kind of interested in looking at how the different genres treat death, how they use it and how they how they depict it, how it's used and mm. kind of how story has evolved around it. Because um, I've noticed a couple of things while playing, like by watching certain films and games recently, I've noticed certain behaviors that are kind of like, it's. it's I'm starting to really notice them. Like really know yeah. the certain ways they're doing things, right? Um, so like, the I'm immediately going to interrupt with a notable, notable trope. Well, yeah, I figured. Go on. No, yeah, are you, were you waiting for me to see if I, when I was going to cut maybe, you off? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. 
So I was looking at uh, at the various tropes associated with death. Again, not murder, not crime, anything like that. And the, the posthumous narrator is one that seems to transcend movies, TV shows, video games, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the start of American Beauty where the character is like, this is the story of how I died. Yes. Uh, Desperate yeah, Housewives yeah. on TV, very famously every episode. Like wherever this woman is, whatever afterlife she's in, she's staring down this little this little wisteria lane, this suburb. She is making note of everything that's happening. Mm. Um, and uh, um, show favorite, uh, Eternal Darkness, starts with one of the opening lines is, I am Dr. Edward Rovas. I, I am a clinical psychologist. I am also dead. Yeah. And like, oh yes, of course. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, it is definitely, I, I think it's a good, it's a great way of hooking people because they're like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a grab you by the balls moment of like, oh, and we've discussed before, it's nice to have something that you know is going to happen, like a familiar thing. Hmm. So if you start with, yeah. I'm dead, you're like, okay, well, tell me the story of how you died and I'll, at least I know where, where we're going with this. Yeah, it's a semi-spoiler and it's that, uh, like, um, people now want to know, like, you've told them something's going to happen and now you've enshrouded mm. it in, in a mystery and then they, like, they're more interested in how the mystery unfolds already knowing the ending rather than you know is he going to make it is he not yeah so which i i feel in some in some instances is actually a better way of doing it because the whole thing of will they make it or will they not can be quite a distraction or mm. when you're told no that like it, it, it's you go to see a lot of films and you're like it, i don't care how much danger the rock is in i know he's going to survive yes. so it, it becomes almost kind of it, it can be a little off-putting Whereas at the very mm. start of the film, he was like, by the way, I'm dead. And then you're like, okay, r- right. Um, let's, let's see then how this goes. You know what I mean? So They, they, they do it in um, Tangled, the, the Disney Pixar one, where Flynn Rider starts the story with, this is the story of how I died. And then at one point in the story, he dies. But then he just gets better. <laughs> and you're like, well done, you. Yes, you have subverted this neatly. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the... the that's actually like quite a good way of doing it because people were like, "Oh, okay," mm. uh, you know, and it's and it's very a Disney thing of they got better, <laughs> you know what yep. I mean? Yep. But like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, the I suppose that yeah, the, that whole this is how I die thing. The what did you call it? The post what? Posthumous narrator. Okay, yeah. Not a post mortem uh, narrator now. Uh, could be post, but yeah, either way. That's the I'm just going with the TV tropes one in case people. I, I could give them my own names, but in case anyone wants to Google it, that's literally what it is on TV tropes. Mm, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's funny that it's kind of one of the ones that is usually when you find a trope, it works for two of them, either movies and TV, but not games. It's one that I've seen done, played, or just played um, exactly the same in all three. Yeah, that's actually quite rare because yeah, like like mm. you said, like it's kind of the main way that this kind of podcast came about is we realized that there was like certain things that just don't carry over or are completely subverted in one medium compared to the others mm. um i think it's also like when you like the subversions within the genres are kind of or within the the platforms are kind of what make it more notable mm. like the um so just to start just to jump in yep. my own yep. film one before I say what it is, there's a specific type of film death that is kind of starting to annoy me now. Mm. When somebody, the the most, the biggest victim of it, or biggest example I can think of in in recent memory, is Boromir in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Okay? Now I don't. He dies on ho- 
No, no, no. It's the him whole like protecting Merry and Pippin. From, oh yes, yes, from the Urukai, and he's like he's fighting them, and he takes down a load of guys, and then the guy whose credit is Lurts like just comes up and basically like downs him from range with an arrow, and then like plants two mm. or three more arrows into him, and then he goes to um he goes to execute him. Uh, like he's standing over and he points the draws the bow and an Aragorn smashes into him and they fight and he decapitates and all that like and then it's the mm. there's the um, you know like he hands him back his sword and he's like I would have fought with you my king in the original books now it's been about 12-14 years since I read the, that trilogy again but I'm nearly certain they just find him dead but mm. th- there's no description of how he dies they find him dead right and it's like because it's told from the perspective of the three hunters and it's the, like so nearly the entire ending of the first volume of Lord of the Rings from pretty much the point where they land on the banks is told from the point of view of Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli right and it's this whole thing of the like they discover they realise Frodo's gone and Aragorn's like no let them go Aragorn's son uh, Frodo's son let them go so, and then so it's is like, it the, must, no, the noble drawn out death it's the, the it's the the suddenly like it's clearly shown all through the film that fucking Boromir and Aragorn don't like each other yeah, and it yeah. wasn't even that telegraphed in the books it's very much just kind of it's hinted at a little bit and it, but, mm. for, but for the most part it's just kind of Boromir is like yeah we can do our own thing don't worry about us um, and the but the like the whole thing of like you know he will betray you etc etc and all that mm. like it, as far as I remember yes that scene does happen where he's like, oh, you would take the ring and all the rest. You take the ring to Sauron, um, and then Frodo runs off. But then, like, it you, it doesn't show you Barmir again, or it shows you like he real he hears the sound of the orcs coming, and he realizes he has to try and protect and try and make up for what he's tried to do. But you don't see him die, mm. and it's it, it's yeah, this yeah. it's this real kind of like they find him in the the horn of Gondor is literally cut in two down the middle. Mm. It's cut into two halves. Um, so there's a whole thing where I was like, and at first I didn't notice it when I first watching the Lord of the Rings, and I kind of like I like I like those films, and I thought it was quite well done, but it seems to be more and more in films. It's like, oh, don't you die on me, man! Oh, I'm going, and it's like, fuck off. It, 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 it's I, a class. It's a classic. It's as old as like this one's as old as cinema, nearly. It's, yeah, but um, so's fucking racism. It's not a good thing. <laughs> like, it, it's. It, it comes up there comes a point where it's like learn to tell your story better learn to tell your story mm. in a way that i'm not going to expect it and that's where it comes to the like and obviously this has happened in numerous other films there is some that do it very well because of how the story is being structured but i found that the film treatment of lord of the rings that particular one where it's it's suddenly the redemptive death it's yeah. oh i've oh suddenly we're all best friends because you're gonna die and it's, don't uh, worry I'll, I'll make sure that you know i get your letter home to your wife and all this bullshit yeah. but if you actually look at like like I thought, the Terminator Two and the fam- you know the famous Terminator Two, where he goes into the fire, that one's yep. quite well done because it's a case of they survived, and he's like, no, I have to go because otherwise this is all just going to keep fucking happening. Mm. And th- there's this whole thing of all the way through the film, like from because Sarah Connor is the narrator for that film, it it happening between the other two main characters makes it more interesting because it's like she has been making these observations and trying to you know and where mm. she makes the observation of like. Um, watching him protect John, um, he he would never beat him. He would never get drunk and hurt him. He would never shout at him. He would always be there. And it's this whole thing of like he's essentially the perfect father in a way. 
but mm. it's the and, and then like the the bonding between them where he's teaching him how to smile he's teaching him how to swear and shit like that and then and then that scene where he he has to sacrifice himself because he's like he's he knows to do this he will spare he will try and spare john his future and yes. I, like so i'm like yeah that's a really good example of it because that was built up and reinforced all the way through the film so it was a logical conclusion and it made it, uh, sense. It wasn't a case of they hate each other, they hate each other, they hate each other. Oh my god, one of them's gonna die. You're my best friend, and that's kind of that shit. Like I think that's just a really poor storytelling mechanic. The the one that I think is a really like the type of death movie just, death. Go on, go on. Just on on that um, note, there's a, at that point in Lord of the Rings, they're pretty much in a war movie. Like they've been on they've been on their journey movie, and then they're kind of walking into a war. Yeah, um, they're being hunted and stuff. That is something that comes up, the, the noble death, the redemptive death is something that happens in every single war movie. And it means that if I start watching a war movie, it's like when you start watching a western, you need to, somebody needs to walk into a saloon and do the doors. And until that mm. happens, I'm kind of sitting there nearly nervously, kind of going, oh, could you just get that bit out of the way so that we can get on with the movie? And if I see like people under fire in a war movie, I'm like, someone's going to get gut shot, they're going to do a really long drawn out death, can we just get that out of the way super quickly and then get on with the rest of the movie? It's like it's something they feel like there's a box that needs to be ticked there, or it's just something very easy to do that is an emotional moment and that's exactly the right. Yeah, type of movie but to it, do it. it's like in some films, particularly in that one, it's uh, particularly in Lord of the Rings, mm. it's very jarring because they even yes. like they overemphasize the whole thing of them being assholes to each other, or yeah. or Boromir being the asshole and Aragorn not trusting him and like you know looking at him slightly all the time, um, mm. and if it was like that in the original book, I think i'd mind less but it, it just made me notice it again i put it on yeah. the background the other day when i was doing something and it was like it just reminded me that whole thing of they're they they're yeah. so antagonistic to one another throughout the whole first film and i think it was almost like they felt that the the filmmakers had to manufacture that in or over mm. over amplify it because you have to save the, like you really have to save the majority of the ring rate stuff and the majority of the you know all that for later on you can't just have a huge amount of like. We our death episode was off to a really strong start with Sean Bean as the very first. Oh death. yeah, we could, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah. hilarious if we just did Sean Bean every time. It's like, well, <laughs> at the start of the game, Goldeneye. Of course, there's 006, and I, I, uh, my movie is also Goldeneye with 006. I, like, I, I, I couldn't. I felt like I had to at least mention him once. But like a good mm. example, I think, and one that well, I, I thought was quite entertaining. Not 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 that I was entertained by death, but I was entertained by how they set it up and how they pulled it off. Mm. Was Collateral. So I don't mean the, the final showdown. I mm. mean, um, Mark Ruffalo is in Collateral. I haven't actually seen Collateral. It's the one with Grey Tom Cruise. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you haven't seen it. So I may end up spoiling this for you, but also shame yeah, on you for it. not seeing it because it's one of the best yes. Tom Cruise films ever made. Um, because right. he's the bad guy. He's an asshole. He's a complete prick. And yeah. Tom Cruise does really good asshole characters. I mean, I've, uh, I've, that, I've heard it's really good. I will actually watch it. Yeah. So he's, so, Mark Ruffalo is a detective. Him and Peter Berg are the detectives interviewing what's going on. Um, because the whole idea of Collateral is that, like, um, what's his name's character? Tom Cruise's character will show up somewhere. He shows up to the city. He has five targets. And he basically will kill them all in one night. And then he leaves mm. the city. And it's because, you know, he's a professional hitman. He has no connection to any of these people. So... The fact that he's only there for a single night, oh, are we in town? I was going to see a gig, whatever. You know, it's it allows him to, excuse me, even if someone mm. actually looked at him, it'd be like, no, whatever. And what he does is he always pick up a taxi driver and then he makes it look like they did it. 
right, right. over the course of the thing. So it's like the, there's the majority of the focus of the film is based around Jamie Foxx as the taxi driver and um, Tom Cruise as the hitman. But then there's also the secondary quest line, uh, quest line, secondary plot line. I've been talking games all week. <laughs> been talking games yep. all week and work. So secondary plot line of um, the, the, the the detectives looking into it. Hmm. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, as you may have indicated, because of the title of the episode, he does get killed. But it right. happens with next to no ceremony and next to no real build up and next to no, mm. um, no big like drawn out fighting, no it, fanfare kind of. Yeah, it's very much. Um, Tom Cruise's character realizes who he is and what he's up to, and as soon as he does, he just kills him. Nice. There's no like, oh, we'll have the witty back and forth. Oh, I'm going to get into a fight, and you're almost going to disarm me, and you're oh, and then we have to struggle over the gun and. You know what I mean? No, he just kills him. And it, it, it was a real kind of... It, it was so refreshing when I first saw it. I was like, mm. oh, holy shit. Right, okay. Now, I've seen that in, I've seen that in other movies where the char- like a revelation happens that one character realizes and you can see the decision on their face and the gunshot's gone before they... I think they do it at the end of one of the Taken movies where a guy walks out and goes, um, you can have the girl it, and he shoots him in the face immediately. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's... That is very refreshing. Yeah, and it's it, it's it's um, it's that whole um, yeah, it's it's like sorry, they run into each other. Sub- I was just a rem- right. trying to clarify it in my own head because I was like, I, I suddenly had a bit of self doubt. They run into each other, and Vincent, who's Tom Cruise's character, remembers, uh, re- realizes what's going on. Max, who's um, what's his name's character, uh, Jamie Foxx's character, um, mm. the is basically with him. They they he brings him in and he attacks a nightclub to take a guy out. He right. takes a guy out. Um, Detective Fanning can't remember his first name, which is Mark Ruffalo's character shows up, re- realizes that Max is innocent, and is like, "Come on, I'll help you leave." And as they walk out the door, like Vincent just comes out from another door and just shoots him dead straight away. Like he doesn't get a chance to pull his weapon. He doesn't get a chance to react. Vincent doesn't even break stride. He literally just walks out, shoots him in the head, and then looks mm. at Max and he's like, what are you doing? And it's this real kind of incidental kind of like, holy shit. Because, uh, okay, yeah. when the film was made, um, I think it's about 10 years old at this t- this point, maybe older. Mm. Um, it's 2004, okay. Yeah, so it's a, good, it's a good while back. And Mark Ruffalo wasn't as big then as he is now, but he'd still been in yeah, yeah. a decent amount of the films. He was still a recognizable actor. Um, and I, like when, he, when I first saw the film, I was like, oh, it's Mark Ruffalo. So it was very kind of jarring. Now, I, I kind of like that in films and in TV. The big drawn out death, death thing, it's, like I said, it's, what it also feels is it's, like it's really loose storytelling. It's uh, a way, doing something like that that just subverts a little bit or is just doesn't get fanfare. Death is such a big thing that it has to get fanfare in every, yeah. in every medium. Um, so when you get, when it just happens like that, it kind of lets you feel like anything could then happen in the rest of the story. Yes. Um, there's what uh, I I never actually saw the movie before I saw this clip. So uh, there's a very famous death scene in Meet Joe Black, mm-hmm. and I remember I remember that being shared around as like a little clip on on like file sharing sites with the traffic. Like, oh god, yeah. yeah, guy yeah, really that dies. That happens in the first five just, minutes. Yeah, and he's like they're doing the movie, doing the movie. It's like the punch at the start of intermission or something. Mm. Just. 
that the movie starts guy walks into traffic gets hit by two cars like he gets hit with a he car so hard he's launched yeah launched into the air and then a van comes out of nowhere and smacks him yeah. and like it's so jarring you're like wow i i really thought this was going to be one kind of a movie i guess it's going to be something completely different um they do it as well in the netflix show ozark where it's really tense it's really tense really tense and there's a character who needs to go in and confront somebody and he's he's kind of like pumping himself up in the car he gets out of his car goes to cross the street and a body just hits the ground next to him where someone's been thrown out of a window like a lawyer's been thrown out of a window like there's some act of violence that just happened hmm. and that like after that moment that whatever happens in the show you're like fuck me like this literally anything could happen now yeah no, nobody is safe and and that's what i like because like particularly in stuff like thrillers and and that where it's like this whole will they won't they survive thing it takes a lot of the tension out of it and the whole point of a thriller mm. is to have tension uh, narrative suspenseful tension um by doing something like that where suddenly just out of nowhere without warning without preamble without the normal kind of build up something like that happens that's the starting one that's the whole thing of anything go like buckle up because we could do anything yeah. like we are not we are not uh, we're not fucking around at this point essentially yeah. I'm going to so. give props to the whatever psychopath wrote, wrote Bambi back in the day <laughs> because <laughs> it always used to start with the kids are orphans as part of this fairy tale and we just move on or the kids have parents and like it's fine and just to, to start with a parent and then kill it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like Jesus Christ yeah <laughs> well, what, what would your film be? Um, my film I wanted a film about death but not not kind of featuring all sorts of gruesome deaths and like murder and destruction and stuff so I was looking at uh, Harold and Maud, which is a black comedy from 1971. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Uh, it's up on familiar. Netflix, and I would absolutely recommend it to uh, anyone to give it a watch. It's a cult classic, and really deservedly so. It's a really, really good one. It's a, it's a lovely movie. It's a romantic movie. It's an uplifting movie. Um, and it starts with, it's about this 19-year-old guy who's from a wealthy family, and he's absolutely obsessed with death. Um, which is kind of played for laughs. He's, uh, he stages elaborate fake suicides all the time. He drives a hearse. And the movie starts with him. He attends other people's funerals just for fun. That's what he does. Um, and it's this is all set to a lovely Cat Stevens soundtrack, all kind of uplifting 70s um, kind of music. And yeah. it's just this morbid dude. And while he's at a funeral, he meets a 79-year-old woman called Maud, who is also just hanging out at funerals, just for the crack. But while he's so morbid and like down she is completely uplifting and full of life and everything and it's just their story they, the two of them start hanging out like this firm friendship uh, the guy's mother his very wealthy mother keeps trying to set him up with all these women she's like you're 19 now you're going to be 20 we're going to start getting you married off think about like just trying to normalise him a little bit just do it yeah, be normal yeah. and uh, every time he like she invites someone over to the grounds he stages a fake suicide in order to scare them off so like it starts with him like tying a noose and hanging himself or like while people are talking to him he takes a gun out the table and just crosses himself put like holds it up and there's a bang and he just falls backwards in the chair and like it ends with while the mother is talking to this lady he's in the background like walks out into the garden and just starts pouring gasoline on himself and the, the woman's like getting more and more visibly upset but the mother won't stop talking and then it cuts back and there's a dude just on fire in the background and they, they it's again it's it's played for laughs but it's not like it's not like um airplane or something where it's done as cutaway jokes it's implied yeah. that he's he's set up these mad elaborate things um and he starts hanging out with this uh, 80 year old woman and um she's she is the manic pixie dream girl of this she's stealing cars and doing her own thing like she's just 
she's kind of done with life it owes her nothing so she's doing whatever the fuck she wants and it's so like there's a bit in it where he's uh he goes while the the mother's talking to him he starts putting out a mat and takes out a katana and does a full ritualistic uh seppuku (laughs) while people are while people are setting up for dinner table and the mother is ignoring him constantly because she won't give him any attention when he's doing this bullshit okay fair enough um but it's it, it is a, it is very very good because just the it, the music is lovely. It's all um, you know. If you wanna sing out, sing out, and if you wanna be you, be you. Like it's all. It, it might as well be a Disney movie. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like of one. A, It's kind of a movie where this dude is trying his hardest to celebrate death. He's trying everything he can do to be obsessed with death, but life keeps coming back to him, and he finds he keeps finding he has to celebrate life. And the movie itself is a celebration of of life, but. About halfway through, you do realize it's about a, a young guy obsessed with death and a very a woman who's probably nearing the end of her life. And then they do start having some very serious conversations. And some of it is just her kind of going, Ugh, I don't care at this stage. Like, this is fine. And, like, there's some hints that maybe she's she's not all there and that she might have just sort of dementia and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, like, just him kind of having this fling with this woman. And, it do, like, it becomes romantic. It is this very strange movie. But uh, I would recommend it. It is... Um, what would I compare it to for people? Natural Born Killers. <sighs> yeah, so it sounds it's like the, it's it's the complete other side of the coin. Like there's there is a bit where to get like his mum signs him up to, for the military eventually, and Harold and Maud like they're both. She knows he's obsessed with death. She knows he's like this. She thinks it's hilarious. She's got like a pet goth that she can bring around and do shit with, and he's wealthy, so she like she's kind of blown through some of his money as well. Uh, but to get out of the army while he's doing drills, she dresses up like a protester and hangs around. And shouts at him, and he just murders her. Like he just like absolutely goes through the motions, and they kick him out of the army because they figure he's just murdered a woman, uh, or at least attempted to. And then they have a giggle about it, like they think it's the funniest thing in the world. Um, but it is, it is, on the surface about death, then underneath that about life, and then underneath that about death. And it is one, if you just want to, um, it is on Netflix. I recommend it if you want to. If you want a movie that you gonna go into completely blank and you're not sure um exactly what you're in for it's one i'd recommend um if you want to take my word for it okay okay (laughs) that's that's fine that's fair enough that's um yeah okay harold and maude yeah yeah i um it is gonna be it's very difficult for me to to get the tone of it it's it's like trying to explain beetlejuice to someone if yeah it's a a movie about the afterlife and they're like so it's all about hell and it's like not really it's more fun so it's about heaven not really it's more dark um um, yeah okay fair enough fair enough it is it is O-rated, I think so it is as much as it's kind of want to be if a guy's committing seppuku and setting himself on fire (laughs) but it's so good he like it every time there's like a lovely moment where he does the first view or he does something to piss off his mum and his mum like looks away from him and he looks directly into the camera and smiles at that moment or like he's giving the finger to his mum behind her back and stuff just being like a prick about it so it's it's basically young prick meets old manic pixie dream lady and madness ensues just on the mention of seppuku uh, shout out to my mate uh, Ed who occasionally watches listens um so he has he had, he had to have an operation when he was a, uh, a young child and he was about a year old. But now that he's fully grown, the scar is huge because right. it's like scaled up with him. And um, <laughs> every time someone asks him, like if a randomer asks him, he's been like, "What's that about?" He will give them a bullshit answer. And he once told some young when he was scoring at a bar, 
he once told her that uh, he had he had done something to dishonor his family and had to attempt seppuku but he fucked it up <laughs> and she just she was like either she was hammered or whatever she was just like oh wow that's so sad and he's just like uh-huh <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh that's lovely yeah so that, that, that just you know just putting that out there for him so. yep um so games but what, what have you a notable tropable for games i do as actually you yeah i have a notable tropable it's kind of for it's for games and movies it actually started in comic books um and it, it is the uh, woman Gray. in the refrigerator <laughs> no it's the woman in the refrigerator oh yeah yeah fridging the wife yeah fridging the girl fridging the wife fridge and the girlfriend uh, yeah i thought it was called uh, girlfriend the fridge no no no, um, no it's fridging um so it is a trope where in order to spur on a hero or usually male in order to spur on someone uh you unceremoniously kill usually a female character sometimes a kid sometimes a dog in john wick and hmm. um, but you just kill someone to make the evil person seem much more evil yes um, i'd even i'd even put the joker paralyzing um barbara gordon uh, Barbara Gordon in the same thing, or someone killing a robin. Uh, it's basically, you know, we've we've done. You say someone feel killing like some... a robin. It's the, it's always the Joker. Let's <laughs> <It's>, not <laughs> Black Dick Mask beat there. the shit out of a robin. I think. Yeah, he beat anyway. him up, but I don't think he killed him. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it is mostly the Joker. Um, but it is, in my mind, I like I haven't read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes of Green Lantern. But it seems like they're just out of fucking ideas. Maybe it made perfect sense <laughs> if you read the whole run. But anytime somebody just says, oh, fuck it, we'll just kill the girlfriend. If it's, if it's a long-running series, it's basically, ah, we're out of fucking ideas. If it's right at the start, then it's a completely disposable character. They just basically introduce someone so they can kill them. Um, but the reason I'm associated with games is there's a scene in Gears of War 2 mm-hmm. that always bothered me uh, where... Dom and is uh, finally tries to rescue his wife. Maria, yeah. uh, yes, and it turns out that she's been in suffering, and he has to um, has to do a mercy killing. Yeah, there's something that always bothered me about that. I don't know why. Just it's a very famous death scene in games. I went and looked at it again this morning. The thing that they get her out of the the chamber that she's in looks far too much like a fridge for my liking. Well, see, the thing is, is that it's 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 a torture chamber that you also pull. Like the it's so it, it it's like hinted at in the it's first like an, it's game. A, it's a sci-fi Iron Maiden kind of job. Yeah, yeah, but it's hinted at in the first game, but then it's actually like reinforced in the second game that the locusts have been torturing humans that they capture. Mm. Um, the example, the other example, the earlier example in the story is when you get Ty out. So you Ty Kaliso, mm. the big Mary fucker, um, probably probably my favorite character in the multiplayer version because when you whichever one you play as, they have different lines and all his lines yeah. are like nuts. But yeah, big, huge, uh, merry guy, tattooed down, ta- and his entire right arm is tattooed and half his face, and he's mohawk mm. and all the rest. And he's really pragmatic. So up until, you play through maybe two acts with him, and he's real kind of like laid back, and he's very philosophical about everything and quite chill, even though yeah. like the world's gone to shit. And then he um, he gets captured, and you rescue him. And when you pull him out of one of the the one of those things, and they, they started to fuck with him, you can see there's. Um, it shows you him from behind and you can see all these scars on his back that the guys can't mm. see. And Marcus is like, you know, it's a little cut scene and Marcus hands him a shotgun and he's like, here you go, Ty. And he's like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. And then you just hear a shotgun blast because Ty has killed himself because mm. of what he's been put through. And they've only had him for like 48 hours. So yeah, it's yeah. the it's the whole thing of, yeah, like the... the um, Sounds like these locusts are evil in some way. Yes, uh, <laughs> almost. Um, so they 
but the the things that they put them in just look a little bit too much like refrigerators for me. Where I kept I watched it again. I was like, that's it's a bit on the nose. But uh, I mean, for giant fridge men headbutting each other, I suppose that's as subtle as they get. Yeah, but it's like just to, exp- to literally explain um, fridging the girlfriend uh, to people who might not know, because it's a term that yes has kind of come into use in the last say like eight to ten years. Like it's mm. when it's kind of really starting to take hold. It was from Green Lantern back in the mid nineties. And he literally comes home one day. Um, Kyle Rayner, who was the fourth Green Lantern, um, probably the best one of a lot of them, and he's certainly the most powerful one to date, I think. Oh, absolutely! Uh, he's much better than. Uh, uh, no, like from a comic perspective. So there's there's been there's been four of them. Wally. So they did they did like uh, Wally West the Flash. They did. Um, Thank you. They they the first one um, was Hal Jordan, and he's an air, a fighter pilot. He's an Air Force guy, and he's. You know that's unfortunately what the film was based on with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Then there's a guy called Guy Gardner, um, who's just a bit of an arse, but he gets shit done. Um, right. The third guy is John Stewart, uh, African American former Marine, and is an architect. And mm. and then Kyle Rayner is a comic book artist and he's a graphic designer, comic book artist. And the whole thing about them is that like because it's powered by your imagination. Whenever. Hal Jordan has to deal with something. He summons in fighter planes and battleships and tanks and stuff. Whenever was it the sto- Guy is Gardner. it one of them is afraid? One of them when he gets his powers, he's afraid of yellow, but he loves golden showers, so it's like a whole thing. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, could be, could be. Um, but then like uh, Guy Gardner just being the asshole, he just used the, the simplest thing to get the job done. Um, mm. John Stewart always uses like engineering stuff because he's mm. an architect, he's rational minded. Whereas Colin Rainer, like, just is probably the best from the perspective of a reader because, because he's a graphic designer, he just comes up with mental shit. So there's literally just there's a time when they're trying to stop something striking the earth, and he has created uh, uh, two uh, kids, but they're like cartoon kids, and each one of them is about eight hundred miles tall, and one of them is <laughs> has a baseball bat, and the other one has like the 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 catcher's mitt behind him, right? And they're literally like getting ready to knock the thing away. So, but yeah, it's it's. So he comes home one day and he finds his girlfriend has been killed and stuffed into a refrigerator by a villain called Major Force. So he's like, she. It's we say fridging the girlfriend. It's not the case of like, oh yeah, like they dropped a fridge on her or they or or something like that. Or she was hit with a. They flying, put her, they you know, put her on ice. He literally killed her, folded her, and put her in the fridge. There's oh. also, I think it happens again later on. Where major force, like he he takes out someone's grandmother, but he he folds her and puts her in an oven. <laughs> and it's just so he's, he's like he, he, like and when he does it, he's like mumbling to himself about like well he goes well you gotta mix it up a little or something stupid like that like <laughs> it's it's just it's it's fucking mental, but it's um yeah so it's been used over and over again in films the fridging the girlfriend, yeah so yeah I, I I think that with the with the um. With the the Gears of War reference, I'm not too sure about that one, like because it's kind of like the defining feature of him all the way through the first mm. first half of the series. So the first game and then the first half of the second game. It's yeah, like, I I was just talking about the scene itself more so than the actual yes, yeah, usage yeah, yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, for for uh, looking at the game stuff, because um, like you were saying that your protagonist isn't going to die in the movie. Like if someone is talking, you're kind of like, ah, I mean, I know the Rock isn't going to fucking die. But in games, you can die and you either reload or you go back to a checkpoint or something like that. Yeah. So I was looking at a few games where they use death as a mechanic. Um, and 
there's the trial and death games that came, became very popular with the Dark Souls and then even indie games like Limbo and Super Meat Boy where yeah. you just it becomes part of the flow like you <laughs> I loved Limbo for that where you just tested each area you ran until you got killed and then you knew where that death point was yeah. and then you ran and jumped that time um, uh, and a game that does a and I know obviously Dark Souls uses it to fantastic effect I think um, but the game that I really really liked with it was What Remains of Edith Finch Okay. Um, and it's one I've talked. It's one I've talked about previously, so I won't go into uh, huge details on it. But the the story is that you are the last line of the Finch family. Their family tree is um, traumatic. It is. It is. It rumored to be cursed. Everybody dies in some horrible way, um, mm. and you're you're coming home to um, your family house. And I think maybe your your mother has died very recently. So you're you're kind of going through, and everybody's room has been kept as like a shrine to them. So as you go along. Uh, you learn a little bit about your family um, and kind of as this ritual of remembrance as your your character um, explores and the house is labyrinthine to kind of uh, give the impression that it is a family tree it's something with lots of branches and little crawl spaces you can get into to to learn stuff Um, but you play out the last hours of every member of your family every significant member so when you go and find a keepsake that belongs to one person you then jump to that person in their last hours Okay. Um, and you live out, live through their death, and in some of them, like it's um, there's a, a tragic one where somebody sets up a you 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 your play style differs for each one. So one of them, you're a camera person. You spent ages getting a camera shot just right, and then you go around to stand in front of like a deer that's been shot or something like that, and it bucks at the last second and knocks you off a cliff, and your character is dead. Um, and then there's ones where like you're obsessed with trains. You're this slightly uh, touched kind of fella and eventually you break out of the house you spend like they're trying to keep you inside and then you break out of the house find a tunnel and start walking towards it and you see a light coming towards you hmm. and that's the last moment of that guy and there's some really really poignant moments where you play children there's uh, kids who've died as a family and they see the world completely differently like they see um, toys coming to life and all sorts of crazy stuff and that's really really nice when that when those moments happen you're like oh fuck this is a really fun game like I'm, I'm talking to my toys I'm dancing with rubber duckies and then you realize what the game is. You're like, oh wait, I have to kill myself in a minute. And one of the characters, like the kid, you, the way you do it is you turn on a tap while someone leaves you unattended in a bathtub. And it is astoundingly, like, um, just emotional right. to go through this and be from a kid's point of view in your last seconds going, oh shit. And like, as a kid, I don't know what I'm doing. So I guess I just have to do this. Um, but it, it is a really, really, really good game, and each little vignette uh, is nicely different, stylistically different, shows kind of the, the frame of mind the person was in, so hmm. it's a good kind of treatise on the different things. There's a guy with depression who you have to do, I, I was saying this before, you have to control him uh, with the controller, and one half of the controller is his boring job, and the other half of the controller is his fantasy life, and as you play that level the boring job takes up less and less and less of the screen and the fantasy life starts taking up more so you're playing two games at once okay um but it's a it's a really nice little indie game i would recommend it for a sunday where you want to spend kind of maybe four or five hours just going through where you would usually be sitting watching a box set sitting watching six episodes or something play through this you can stop at any point they are episodic um and there's a really really nice moment as well where one of the characters is murdered so it goes into full slasher movie like you okay. you return to the house but instead of it being the normal house it's done like a tales from the crypt style All right, okay. like yeah, schlocky yeah. horror so it's it's really nicely done but um okay. i think that that is the one that um 
uses a death mechanic in a really interesting way to just basically go, oh, and that's the end of that chapter. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the that's yeah, that's pretty good. I, I like those kind of... Obviously, as we mentioned earlier, like Eternal Darkness, like it does a similar thing where it's like every page you find of the Tome of Eternal Darkness, you play a different character. And I always like the little games mm. like that where you get to try out different things. And mm. it's not just you're constrained by a single player. Now, I get that's the majority of games, and by their nature, it kind of has to be. But... You know, being able to mix it up and move around a bit like that can help. Um, my own games it was just um, I wanted to mention um, what you call it, Grim Fandango, just because it's oh yes, it, of course, it, it, it's it's a game exclusively about the afterlife. So mm. like, kind of taking on your tropable from earlier, your notable tropable from earlier. It's not a case of like this is how I died. It starts off with so you're dead now what, <laughs> and it it, it it which is. You know, it's a, it's a it's a different approach. It's um, and it has some fun with it, and you know, because it is a Tim Schafer game and all the rest. Yeah. But the actual game I, lo- I wanted to mention was another oh, no, one. Sorry. No, I just I love that he's a, he 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 sold as a travel agent to the yes. underworld. Yes. I loved it. Just that itself is such a good like, your mind goes to so many cool places with that phrase, a travel agent to the afterlife or to the underworld. Yeah, and um, it's and, and it's a, a kind of a piss take on like um, Dante's Inferno, Inferno as well. Mm. Like he is essentially like um, was a Virgil who brings you in and, and shows him mm. through and that type of thing. But the yeah. um, the game I, I actually wanted to mention was a game, an indie game called To the Moon. Um, yes. So To the Moon was made by a studio like four people. It's made mm. using RPG Maker a couple of years back. Um, it's about a tenner on Steam, though you can't get it in sales for like as low as like two quid and um, there is no combat in it there's it's all puzzle solving dialogue solving that type of thing mm. it's a very relaxed game it's very chill they basically took this pre-made engine made the game put their own art and their own music into it and um, but the whole idea is that you work for a particular group that will come to people uh, in their dying hours and what you do is there's like a medical device that they strap onto them mm. And you can go back and help that person relive their entire life in their memories, mm. but help them to fix any mistakes that they've done so they can die content. So that it's, mm. a, it's a matter of they don't have regrets because they get to see what would have happened if they had have taken that trip, if they had have said yes and said no and stuff like that. Um, so it's, it's a weird kind of like death is this yes. kind of premise it's a sci-fi it's a wonderful lifing someone kind at the very of end of their life yes yeah, yeah yeah and it's like you're not actually changing anything the whole idea is that you're just in mm. their mind their memories you're giving them the chance to experience what what, what could have been and mm. in a positive way and it's it's designed to just kind of help people you know deal with it and like and deal with like you know to, to not have regrets mm. um it's the it's like the the Jacob's ladder thing that scene in Jacob's ladder which I always loved, where when he's explaining to him what the demons are the doctor yeah he's if you're yeah. frightened of dying and you're holding on you'll see demon devils tearing your uh, your life away, but if you're at peace and you've nothing to worry about those angels oh, those demons are really angels freeing you from the earth, and it's mm. kind of what you're doing you're going in and you're like you know what were your regrets i should have said i should have asked such and such out on a date i should have taken that job i should is, have it, gone to such and such an event rather than not going and you and you is your role uh, in this game are you the i, I know the game and i actually what like that's i watched someone play it through an entire sunday mm-hmm. but um i didn't actually i was kind of dipping in and out 
is your role as the person who's dying or is your role like a technician who no is you're, you're one of the them? two technicians okay so it's the it, it, like it's just it's it's a really beautiful game it's really well made mm. um it's a very kind of it has that kind of zen thing where it's like you don't have to there is no combat there is no major action sequences it's all just about helping improve people's lives even if it's only in their own head even if it's only their memory to make them feel better you know what i mean it's almost it's a mm. mercy service type of thing but i just thought it was it, it's very interesting in its treatment of death because it's like nobody in the game is particularly frightened of dying they're very much just kind of like this is coming and i kind of regret you know how certain parts of my life went and you're like okay we're like we're not we're, we're not going for the big fantastical like the big the normal gaming trope you would expect is we're going to stop you from dying we're mm. going to find a way to cure you we're going to find a way so you can live on it's like it's not about that it's about helping people come to terms with or resolve certain things in their life so that they can move on peacefully and i just i really mm. like that i think it's a very kind of it was a nice treatment and it's quite refreshing in games because in games it is normally the whole thing of well no you saved the town and you cured the illness and you stopped the necromancer and you know what i mean it's just mm. having this kind of much more if like the game feels a lot more intimate as well because of it there is no massive scope there is no massive like yes i wanted to be president and they never you know yeah 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 it, it's so it, it yeah. actually it, it, it feels quite good um and it's kind of strange that like the topic about it is essentially death in a weird way it's never the primary topic in any of the stories you're, you're playing through but it's it's like this extra character that's just there. And do they get to the moon? Well, you'll have to play it and find out, won't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, I just, you know, wanted to mention that one. I just thought it was a good yeah. kind of... Because, like I said, I was more kind of looking at this topic as the treatment of it and how people do it. And stuff like roguelike games and stuff like that are, are quite obvious. Yeah, um, where it's I, uh, a different iteration of the level every time, but you get to carry some prog progress forward and stuff like that. But yeah, this was more kind of just a. It, it was more like a reflective game than anything else. I was wondering if we would both pick indie games because indie games are the the ones where people can explore stuff like this. Um, I wonder what the barrier to entry for some people would be because they're so stylized. Like, To the Moon is pixel art, top down, very much. Yeah, but it's um, like you can actually play the game. With, you can play the game with like the four arrow keys and I think yeah. the space bar. Like, there's no. It, it's that's kind of one of the part of the reason I'd recommend it is that there is no big action. There is no getting your head around a control scheme. It's just it's very mm. simple. It is. It's essentially a visual novel for all intents yep. and purposes. You are playing through the story, um, but it, it's just the theme of it and the pacing is quite nice if mm. uh, like uh, another indie game I, I thought of but i was like i quickly dismissed because of how grim it could be like i don't want to go necessarily recommending this but if you ever feel like just crying unconsolably at a game uh go play that dragon cancer yeah that's another one yeah it's that's, uh... yeah that, uh, that's i mean like amazing props to the guy for making it but mm. at the same time it's not something i would like stick two thumbs up and go <laughs> I recommend you know what I mean? pick of the week <laughs> pick of the week what could go wrong yeah. um so yeah yeah um we belong to tv shows then yeah what's your notable tropable we know you have uh, one. yeah no i didn't actually have one but I'll, I'll i'll come up with one on the spot now which is uh for tv shows there's lots and lots and lots of ones that are um about death we were talking about i zombie last time um, mm -hmm. i've never watched uh 10 feet under or pushing daisies or or Reaper. 
Six feet under. Was ten feet I've under the sequel? <laughs> ten feet under, yes. We're going deeper, four. baby. Yeah, season four. It's like it's like Ocean's Eleven. They have to keep adding more characters. Yeah, no, they kept um, adding characters, and then they just added one and, and divided by two. Yes, so we got to the latest one. <laughs> um, but uh, I've never watched any of those. I don't know why. Um, I, actually, I watched The Good Place recently, which is um, uh, a really nice one about the afterlife. But my my kind of trope for TV shows would be the very special episode, the one that is kind of completely out of the blue for a lot of um, uh, uh, shows that would be more okay. comedic or more action-packed. Yeah. Um, and then the episodes I'd, I'd like to talk about would be um, like the mother's death in Buffy. Yes. Um, I, I think the episode's called The Body. And it is, uh, it's one of those ones where they, they have an opportunity to do a really, really jarring thing. And like they do, they do themed episodes. They do... Yeah, they did a musical. Uh, they, they did a silent one. They did a musical. Yeah, yeah. They did a silent one. They did a surrealist, absurdist one. They did a bunch of these, uh, but this one felt really, really um, kind of poignant. And it wasn't that they were just fucking around with a theme, or they weren't just doing like they they weren't just kind of like smiling smugly and going, "Oh, we'll do something uh, weird here." Um, and I, I I have read that it was about uh, someone had died in Joss Whedon's life. Um, but the, the the moment that gets me is just the sound design and the the weirdness of everything. Like the obviously if someone dies, but then normal things start sounding weird. And there's a bit where Buffy, after getting the news and after like kind of knowing everything, just walks through her house, uh, bends down off camera, just disappears off camera, vomits on the floor, and you can hear wind chimes clonking. And then she walks through her house and the footsteps are really loud, and she opens the the back door and you can hear kids playing and she just stares out at like presumably at these children here's kids playing stares out the neighborhood and it cuts to her face and she looks horrible she looks sweaty the sun looks too bright and like oh man they made they made so many good choices to capture mm. all of the it's, it's all stuff that's done without saying anything which is very yeah. important it's like a line of dialogue has to be incredibly funny or incredibly poignant to stick with you but mm. or incredibly apt to the situation whereas like a good visual will just register with you that bit faster yeah um and that's that. It's a whole episode about dealing with death, and it's a. It's they always do good characterization. Even with the singing episode, they do. Everybody is perfectly in character. Everybody's either mm. excited to be singing or worried or um, expressing themselves in some way that, like, it, the people who write for them just had them nailed down. Mm. Uh, and watching everyone come to terms differently in that episode is is really good. And Anya, the ex demon saying really crass things and horrible things and then freaking out because she was previously immortal and now has to face mortality through the death of someone else yeah is kind of sticking because again that's what happens people people react differently everybody has their own kind of um reactions to something as as terrible as that um and just one more one more quick one of that that's a very kind of downer one so so as not to end on that uh let's end on an equally downer one which is the uh, episode of Scrubs with um, Dr. Cox's friend played by Brendan Fraser oh it's his brother-in-law uh, yeah his brother-in-law, that's that, it no, yeah, that episode is horrific like that's that that one as well is one where again a very special episode where they they don't spend the whole episode on it they just for that last that last nearly five minutes um, oh, JD really loses it's yeah. not JD it's, it's not it's not JD I know what you're going to say but well uh, so at the start, of, there's a really nice moment where at the start Ben is going around the brother and he's got his camera, and I think he's got a line where he says, uh, "He's like, we put that camera away." And he's like, "Man, I'm gonna have it till I die." And then about halfway through an episode, JD loses a patient, and Doctor Cox loses the head with them, tells him to go home, um, and then Ben starts 
popping around and doing it's a bit it's a little bit sixth sense where he's talking to dr cox he notably doesn't have his camera anymore yeah um and for the rest of the episode only uh, he interacts with dr cox and dr cox interacts with him but yeah but it's done um, in such a way that you don't really notice the first time yeah and it is just it's a really nice um it it they did it in a very confident way the guys who made that show did it in a very nice way where they they kind of knew they had the characters they had a bit of heart to the series that they'd established yeah and that like they could get away with something like this and then the the last scene which is one of the best bits of television i've ever seen um where dr cox is looking at ben he's like how come you don't have to wear a suit and he goes i'm i'm dressed up fancy you don't see any holes in these trousers he's like well aren't you gonna take some pictures and JD kids, just walks kid, behind and goes, uh, pictures of what? And then, yeah. Kids crying, you know, people singing happy birthday to my son who've never even met him before. And just JD looks at him and kind of goes, where do you think you are? Yeah, that scene is and, like, yeah. Oh, man. And then it just uh, zooms out and shows you that you're actually at it. Like, they're at a, uh, they're at Ben's a graveyard. Funeral. And mm. it's like, yeah, that, that scene, I remember, like, the first time I watched it, I was just like, I, I, had, I was like, something's off here. Something's, like, they're in mm. denial about what's wrong with him. It's, you know... But I was like, no, they've done that already with the episode where they keep it like the previous one where it's like he has. Um, oh, they're trying to. Yeah, he's got leukemia. He gets diagnosed and JD yeah, tries to. And it's like in he, denial about it. Yeah. Like, and I was like, no, they're not going to do that again. What is it? And I was, I was trying to figure it out. And then it's like near the end. I'm like, he's not wearing his camera. OK, what's going on here? And then mm. it does that scene. And you're like, Jesus, that's just brutal. Like, yeah, the, I think that's like. I think when it's done in comedy and when it's done well, because like 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 anything, like great drama and great comedy both rely on timing, mm. um, more than anything else. More than like action can just can be kind of, eh. but like like truly great comedy and truly great drama have there's an element of of timing, and that's why when you look, you know, people go like, oh, such and such an actor, he's so good as like in the dramatic roles. I didn't think he was this funny, and it's like again, it's timing, it's delivery, it's yeah it's emoting with, with your body and stuff like that so yeah like in that particular like there's, I really, there's I really want to just shout the word timing and cut you off at like a really inopportune moment yeah, just, yeah. Uh, well, the thing about comedy is that's the joke like, the timing the timing the stu- yeah. yeah it's like when you go to someone it's like ask me what the the most important thing to comedy is and you go what's the most important timing and you're like <laughs> oh, okay right fair enough um, but yeah it, like that particular episode and there's a couple of others there's a handful of others in, in Scrubs that mm. are just because of how good the comic timing was in that show, um, that and it's 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 a more welcoming atmosphere for a viewer. If you watch a TV show and there's drama happening and you're kind of you're the outside observer and you're like, I want to see what happens. If you're watching a comedy and it's very much like friends hanging around with each other, not just the workplace. I think Scrubs wouldn't have worked anywhere near as good if it was only focused on the workplace. But because mm. it showed so much that was happening in their personal lives, and nearly half of the first three seasons happened in JD and Turk's apartment. And it's yeah. that whole thing of you're, you feel like one of their friends. You feel like you're being included. So when something happens to one of them, you feel it that big more keenly, as long as it's not delivered in a ham-fisted way. Like. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, that's definitely one that I find kind of... Um, yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. That we, the, we mentioned Jacob's Jacob's ladder there. I've just noticed the sun has come out, and I'm completely bleached out. And I actually look like the end of Jacob's ladder. I do look like I'm walking into the light at the moment. I, I did have that when I was editing the last one. I was like, I could tell at what point the sun came out while we were filming because suddenly Johnny turns like pure white, and it's like I can't see him anymore. What's going on? Um, but yeah, no, that, that that's less of a downer, but kind of more of a downer at the same time. 
Yeah. Uh, so what was your what was your TV choice? Um, it's it's weird. It's more kind of like I, I there's a, again it's this thing that I find kind of odd in TV. It's not a specific example, but it's certain series do it a lot. So, right. um, the I don't think shows like uh, CSI or um, Criminal Minds and stuff like that would work would have as many people watching them if the murders happened halfway through you'll notice that whenever mm. somebody's murdered in one of those shows it happens within the first 5 to 10 minutes but oh, um, yeah. there's no character build up it's a, a complete depersonalization of the character it's just like this is just a face who's probably crying or who's being a smug arsehole and then gets killed um, like you can see I, it in Criminal Minds where it's a case of you will see a killer at the very start or in a cold open killing someone and then they find that they get word of the body and they go out and they investigate blah blah blah, blah. and they're like oh it's only so much, so much time until he strikes again and then they, you'll see someone getting taken but that person will survive they depersonalize to the point that I used to watch C- uh, I was a huge fan of CSI and Bones and I used to watch Bones and eat dinner like I'd come home make dinner hmm. stick on Bones the, par- the character would be dead like usually because it's Bones They'd be dead for a while, and now she has to solve the mystery using the bones. Oh, indeed. Uh, but like, she would use maggots to strip flesh off bones so she could get to the skeleton. Let's stop using the word bone. Um, but uh, I would happily sit and watch that. Whereas, like, um, if the character died halfway through, and I've like got to know about them even for a second, yeah. Like, hey, he's got a pet gerbil, and I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a dude. That's the thing. It's it's a it's a it's kind of interesting. Whereas. Like so, you look at shows like that where they specifically know not to kill anyone who's introduced past like the ten minute mark. Un- you know what I mean? Unless they need like a mid season cliffhanger or something, and they'll do it mm. for a character. Like, but yep. the the opposite can be said about it. Like they always kill them off early, and then oh no, we have to stop it before it happens again. And they manage to just yep. get their nick of time. Whereas if you look at shows like House and stuff like that, what they do is it's like the 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 person will come in and they're always on the verge of dying and oh they were almost going to and we brought them back and then oh and then we brought them back yeah and you feel oh my god like they, they, they got to get this person you know they got to get a matter so the odd time that someone does die in that it's more notable mm. and it's weird because whenever characters have been killed off in shows like csi or or, or criminal minds i suppose watch criminal minds more than csi but like whenever i see someone getting killed off i'm kind of like yeah that's shit but I'm not yeah. necessarily I don't necessarily care because I'm like I expect a certain body count per episode in those things because they're dealing with serial killers and they're dealing with psychopaths and bombers and terrorists and you're like yeah whereas in house I, they train you to expect this person will be killed this person will make better it will will make it through will be made better and yeah. then so when it does happen it's like you know and, the, and then they always use it as a means for the for one of the characters to feel like horrendous and then have to deal with it you as yeah. a as a viewer you actually sympathize more with the characters whereas like in criminal minds it's like you know oh we've been stalking this guy for years and he's killed 82 people he's one of the most prolific guys ever and you're like mm, fascinating and then it's like one of the main characters gets off by him and you're like mm, okay so it's it's weird it's it, 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 it's a uh, i've noticed it though in there's certain shows where you never even see the crime happening Mm. Law and Order used to do this, where it was a case of they would show up to the crime scene after it happened. They would process the crime scene. You get the detective part and all the rest, and they're interviewing people, and then it switches to the to the justice part, and they're doing the whole 
the, the trial and stuff like that and even in that when a character died you were kind of like oh shit because just because they weren't showing you the thing and I know it's this whole thing of desensitization I don't think desensitization turns people it, it doesn't turn 99.9% of people into murderers and callous killers mm. and stuff but it actually fucks with the storytelling capabilities of these shows yeah I guess it's the it's where they have to have a, a murder a week they can't like they you would get such um you get such empathy fatigue if you had to like love the character at the start yeah and you're like we they, they are nearly basically saying we need to get the murder bit over and done with so we can get back to the characters they're actually supposed to care about and you're like shouldn't we care about the person who dies like absolutely yeah not. and that's what but that's what i'm saying like that's why in 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 house it was nearly every episode they would bring someone in and make you care mm. about them or they yep. make you care about them a bit, then go, but this guy's actually kind of an asshole. But you still kind of root for him, don't you? You know, And I think that's where that was a superior show, where it was yeah. able to do that. Now, I get that it's also the nature of the show. It's, it's the format and how it works. But I just found it was quite an interesting thing when I was looking at this, that it was like the, a lot of shows, like main characters only get killed off mid-season or end-season. That's the way it happens. And because of that, again, it's this whole thing of like, it's like the drawn-out heroic death from the films. Yeah. You can kind of see it coming. If someone, if like someone's in danger in episode three of a season you're like no this is fine where you know he might be limping for the next three episodes but whereas if someone gets like is in danger in the halfway point you're like "Hmm, this guy could actually get off here this might happen like so Um, like i said it was more just the treatment of it than a specific example i thought was kind of odd uh talking about house and and using death and near death to kind of up the stakes there is an episode where um i think an infant dies near the start of the episode and he has to say, like, there are other infants showing the same um, yes. symptoms. Yeah. And he has to do an autopsy. And it's a really poignant scene of that kind of thing of, like, this is a baby. You care about babies. And, like, House now has to do an autopsy on a baby to save more babies. And you're like, Jesus, oh, man, the stakes are so yeah, high. And it's incredible. E- it's even one of the few times that House actually looks upset yep. about something like that. And it's like, and part, uh, part of it is that, like, and like I never found that out of place for his character because it's the whole thing of he hates what people turn into. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. kids, he seems every time you see him interact with a kid on the show, he doesn't treat them really like kids, but he'll treat them with the way the kid wants to be treated, and it's usually fine. Hmm. You know. Um. Now he can like when he's not in the room with them, he will just say he'll revert to his clinical self of like yeah yeah whatever just fucking you know we need to we doesn't matter if we hurt him we need to fix him. Yeah. But that moment yeah that particular one um where he's trying to find what's wrong it's it's a like that when he has to do that autopsy yeah that's that can be like super crushing like um and it's weird like that show as well also kind of ended with the death of a character spoilers hashtag spoilers spoiler spoiler spoilers etc but like so they they did it a couple of times that there was there was only a handful of main character deaths in house so end of season five they kill off cutthroat bitch amber who is wilson's girlfriend Mm. and she indirectly dies because house was out getting hammered and wilson holds it against them and all the rest but even that scene where like she basically like she's in a medically induced coma and they figure out what's wrong with her and they realize there's no way we're ever going to be able to save her and so they have to like wilson is like almost refusing to let go they end up having to wake her up to give her time to say goodbye and everyone mm. comes in one at a time to say goodbye, and half of them don't even know what to have anything to say. And it's like it's it's a, a like a, like if you've been following the series, it's a heartbreaking scene. Like yep. then you have a season later, um, Cutner, 
the, yeah, no, Connor. Was he the medical student? Yeah, he, it's a guy played by Cal Penn. Um, yes. So he kills himself. They just, but like you don't know. There's no preamble to it. And I think I've talked about that in a previous episode. Yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's done really well. I think yeah. It's done so the, like part of it is the whole thing that they don't do the big lead up. They don't do the whole him looking pensive and looking at a bottle of pills and all this type mm. of thing. It was very much just kind of they were like, where the fuck's Cutner? And it's like, all right, we'll go around and we'll check on him, and then they find the body. 13 and Foreman find the body and they freak out and they're trying to resuscitate him and they call the ambulance and everything else and then like House has a nervous breakdown eventually as a result of that that actually came mm. came out of nowhere that was them adapting really well to the writing because Cal Penn he left shortly after Obama got elected and yeah. because Obama appointed him to a position in the White House huh, it was something to do with like a youth and media uh, relations position yeah yeah so he brought him in he's like guys i gotta go i got a job in the white house and they're like oh okay what series is that and they're like no 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 the white house and they're like shit right we gotta write you out then yeah so that's what and that but it actually worked quite well and then towards the end uh, towards the second half of season eight which is the last season wilson finds out that he has terminal cancer mm. and like um there's also a whole thing that happens with House where it looks like he's going to get arrested and sent to prison well, and he'll be in prison he, long enough that he, will, he won't be there when Wilson dies. Yeah. And he has to fight Moriarty on a waterfall. Exactly. You know, I'm thinking yes. of something else there. Yeah, wait, but anyway, wait, wait. moving on. Yeah. But then he ends up, fa- like House apparently dies. It's turned out to be faked, but they have his funeral and all the rest. And then it's afterwards, or during the funeral, Wilson finds out that he has faked his death. Mm. and he shows up and he starts giving out to him and he's like you're gonna go to jail you f- you can't fake your own death and he like he looks at me he's like wilson i'm dead uh, uh, but uh, and then he, but it's kind of like you know like i don't have any concerns now and he's like what do you want to do for the rest of your life mm. because they know wilson only has like six months to live and then it just it cuts to them riding off on motorcycles to go across the country and i thought it was like this you know there's a fake death and an implied and an inevitable death yeah, yeah. at the end of that series and like that because they use it sparingly it really works mm. whereas in some tv shows they're killing off people every second season or every season and you're like i don't care what what did we work out was the um midsummer murders death rate if you're in there if you're between the ages of like 18 and upwards you're like a 20 percent mortality rate for yes year. So, some, something ridiculous yeah <laughs> But yeah, no, that, that's oh. just my example. That was just a particular like TV show that I, um, or TV show, uh, not a specific example, but the the way it's used. Like I said, mm. it was for me. I was looking at how it's treated and how it's kind of used both yeah, in the writing and stuff like that. So cool. So that was a cheery episode. It was. Um, I don't actually have a story to to finish it like I did last time. Well, <laughs> I would hope not. Remember that time I died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's the homework for the week is to to figure out which one of us is the dead narrator who's just been. <laughs> I'm not actually been narrating this the whole time. Afterlife, but, but died during episode one. Uh, uh, cool. Do you want to do Do you want to do homework on your side? The, yeah, just the, the only real one specifically I would say is um, to the moon, the game yep. to the moon. It's on Steam, and um, like I said, you can get it for anywhere between I think it's eight euro ten dollars. But during a sale, it'll go down as low as two, and it's like even just stick it on your wish list, and then when it shows up, uh, I'd pick it up. It's a very good game, very very good game. Uh, my homework is to watch Collateral. Uh, mm. 
I would uh, recommend anyone to watch Harold and Maude. It's up on Netflix. Um, it is a delightful movie from the 70s. A um, little bit slow moving, but um, it's, it'll warm your cockles. Um, games, yeah, Edith Finch, same as that. It's a nice little indie movie, uh, or indie game. Um, recommend it to, to play something different than whatever you're playing at the moment, because it's, it's cool. And if you want to have... If you want to get that little bit of teary eye, like you don't have a full cry, but you just you feel the water and you know if you blink it would be, just watch that last bit of Scrubs where it's everything from <laughs> Dr. Cox and Ben approaching the, the that final scene. Yeah, I was watching earlier, I just had that little thing of like, huh. <laughs> I'm not crying, shut up. <laughs> or actually, actually, that's another TV series that like, it's perfectly acceptable to, it's like, I, I always find, I always joke about the whole, that stupid thing of like, men don't cry, men don't cry. Yes. And I'm like, no, there's 10 things you're allowed to cry at. And it's like, if you step on an upturned plug or Lego, uh, <laughs> when you're, when your first kid is born, um, when Terminator gets lowered into the, into the molten steel, uh, yep. that episode of Scrubs, the ending of Band of Brothers. Yep. When they're all talking, when you get the montage and they're playing baseball, you get the montage of what happened to them all. And mm. then it does the interview with them where it finally reveals the names of who has been talking and commenting at the start and end of every episode. Yeah. And it's like, and they're all really emotional. And then you're like, hold it together, hold it together. And then, you know what I mean? Like the, the yeah, that whole, uh, yeah, I, I think it's stupid. You can fucking cry when you want, man. I hate Absolutely. that whole thing of like, oh, men don't cry, men don't cry. It's just fucking kicking the bollocks, you'll cry, watch. <laughs> uh, I, t- I told you that story of me um, being so hungover one day, so ridiculously hungover, that I, uh, I I just went into the little centre next to me and Landslide by Fleetwood Mac came on the radio. And I got so fucking emotional. <laughs> I got up to the couch. <laughs> I got up to the counter and I had like tears streaming down my face and I was like holding my chicken filler roll out to them and the guy was just like just take it man <laughs> you're like you know it's just, you clearly need this a lot more than I know just take it man <laughs> thank you fumbling for change just walked out I had to come back later and pay them <laughs> oh man yeah okay. <sighs> alright well thanks for tuning in guys um, absolutely we'll hopefully have a more cheerful episode next time <laughs> 